Welcome back to an all new Super Metal Brothers podcast where we live in dark matter dimensions. I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. Rejoice fans, we've hit 200 listens or over 200 listens on our bowl beat. So we'd like to give a massive thank you to the bros and sisters that to follow and support this channel very regularly. You know who you are. But uh, I guess it, you couldn't have one person do it 200 times, right, Dan? That'd be insane, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> anyway, if only Volbeat released an album every week, we shall be 200 errors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, guys, if you guys got a special request that you want us to do, you know, let us know on our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash supermetalbro, and uh, leave your favorite album. But this week, Danny, we've got some uh, some heavy hitters for the guys out there. Yeah, definitely. We're going old school. We're kind of old school, early 2000s. Or was it? Late 1990s. Ooh, yeah, questions. we are really reviewing Dragon Lord's Rapture album. We've also got the uh, band cycles, you know, when the albums come out from bands and how long is too long or how short is too short. Mm. We're here to ask the fans and they've uh, responded, so we're going to do some shout-out to those. But uh, before we do that, Danny, let's talk news. Now, for a guy who's on point most of the time writing riffs, apart from that blunder in the 90s, this guy cannot get a hint. Richie Blackmore trying to uh, get this one last concert. He's willing to do it with Deep Purple. I think he's aware, though, now that it's just not going to happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, now Ian Gillen's come out and said it, and no one else can really come out and say it because you know, John Lord's not here with us anymore, and well, I guess Richie Blackmore's the other member, but the other members of the band, they probably just say, no, nah, we, we don't want to work with you, Richie. For those of you who do not know who Richie Blackmore is, you remember the riff Smoke on the Water? Of course you do. Your mum and dad play it all the time on Triple M. What it is, is basically the most iconic riff in heavy rock's history, right? And second only to Black Knight, which he also wrote. Yeah, exactly right. So he's um, wants to relive that, get a bit of nostalgia value back, but... They just don't want to work with him. He can see the money side of it, and I think that's what's really got him keen, but no one's Yeah, see, he thinks the nostalgia side of it, but the other band knows the other side of Richie Blackmore's nostalgia, and they don't want to be a part of the history. So uh, they're happy, like, thanks, but no thanks. we got Steve Moore's. comes with less dramas, less politics, um, slightly less better riffs. Sorry, Steve Moore. Mm. Love your playing. You're probably better overall, I think, on the technique side, but uh, songwriting styles, is just he's just a legend, isn't he, Richie? He's just yeah. a legend! It's true, though. But I think this is quite clever for Richie. He's playing the mind game, so now he's put the ball back in purple's course. So, well, you know, I am willing, yeah. so it's not Give me the fans. fans what yeah. they want, and the, but they're like, do you know what it's like to work with Richie? But the fans are like, we don't care. <laughs> we don't work with him. <laughs> most, of their, most of their demographics got dying soon, like, you know? Uh. They get meals prepared for him every day and someone to clean their ass. All they want is just to hear one more time... Uh, Maybe some Highball, ball, what is it? It's a fireball, sorry, album. <laughs> highball. Highball. Highway Star. Highway Star. I was complaining to two things today. I'm not, I'm not quite odd enough yet to be nostalgic with the band. But uh, do, you think, do, you, do you think if he's persistent enough, it's going to work for him? No. No. No, nor do I. No. John Patrici says, Pull Me Under is probably the most important song in Dream Theater's career. Uh, it's really put them on the map. It's songs that actually took them, and he admits it, from being in a pub to being in a pub across the ocean. You know, that's how good it is. It, it, so, yeah, it's not probably, it is that song. And everyone's got it from Britney Spears' um, Baby One More Time to Daniel, that solo project that you're working on. <laughs> Still haven't quite found that number one single, have you there, Danny? <laughs> oh, the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a lot with that one hand. <laughs> um, but in all honesty, uh, it is a good song. And they want it to be a single, all eight minutes of it. Yeah, and that's why he freaked them out the most, Petrucci. He's saying that like they had an eight-minute song on the radio. They never tended to be a single, but radio's played Because it. it's the song after that, which I think most people would think is the... Da, na, 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 the Kenny G oh, saxophone yeah. solo at the end of it. Let the last round you. It's rounded, isn't it? Yeah, 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 something like that. And it's like literally like it was perfect for the radio. It had you know all the stuff that you love from the 80s, like saxophones. Uh, it had Labrie singing, which unfortunately is everything you didn't like from the 80s, 90s or today. Um, <laughs> but it is a good song, isn't it? Pull Me Under. Is it their best off that album, Danny? Do you think if you had to choose, which one would be your favourite? Would it be no, Metropolis? I like, I like, no, I like Surrounded. Uh, Metropolis is too long. That's like 15 minutes or something. Yeah. There's that one really cool part in the middle. Is it? Uh, this it's, may be the very last dance. That part's really cool. Yeah. But for me, Surrounded's really, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's a good song, but that is a good album for them. Catch them in... I think, have they played that Australia gig yet? Not yet, no, have they? I don't think so. Yeah, you got to hear that song and more for the second part of their set list. Two and a half hours worth oh, of Drink Theater. Sydney, Melbourne, get on it. Props to that. Megadeth David Ellisson. 
defends. Remember we talked last year about Megadeth having that uh, boot camp. So for $2,000 or $1,000... Yeah, start can, at $1,000. Yeah, start at $1,000. But if you want to stay there, you can get like, you know, a, a tent with a toilet. Yeah. Um, a really exclusive hole in the ground, they like to call uh. it. Um, and uh, you get to hang out with Megadeth. You get like, you know, tutorials and stuff and rah, 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 rah. Uh, he, he believes that it's, it's uh, Megadeth uh, David's uh, believes it was a good uh, boot camp and uh, gave exceptional value to attendees because of the probably the best tagline in ever perceivable future that I can imagine metal, exclusive opportunity. CEOs gather around. This mm. is how you take money from people and not make them feel bad about losing it. Exclusive opportunity. Well, technically you're right because if you only give... 10 tickets away to a one-off event. Yeah, technically, he's right. It is exclusive. But, I mean, look, to be fair, I get what you're saying. Like, it was, I think, five and a half grand gets you, like, the whole weekend. They take you on wine tours and all that stuff. So, like, if you spend a lot of money at, like, a really famous, you know, penthouse apartment, you're spending about that a night. You know? And you have the luxury of hearing Dave Mustang sing Megadeth songs in acoustic. Hearing Dave Mustang singing would surely want a refund. But there you go. Acoustically, it may be. Helps down a little bit more. Kiko Loreno, Dirk Vibulin as well on drums. So, you know, I can see why Dave, as the bass player, could see how you are getting your money's worth. It's actually quite clever as well because Dave Mustang has been like trying to sell his house for like, the last year. So inviting all these like rich people to his um, place as part of this benefit, he goes, oh, wait here, look at my, look at my yeah. house. Whoa, look at that. Gold um, doorknobs and gold faucets. Come, this must be worth the money. Three million or something his house is. Hey, look, if you're the second best band to Metallica and you've got a three million dollar house, that's not small pickings. Uh, it's not yeah, too I'll, bad. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, shows you the big difference though, really. Like Metallica had, you had Thinger trying to sell his $20 million apartment, which is one of his uh, Kirk Hammett. And then you got this guy selling his actual house. So it really shows you how big that gap can be. Well, yeah, I mean, like we've found out, Metallica is still like the number one, two, three, four, five, six, and ninth top selling metal albums every year. What What is wrong yeah. with metalheads? Like, there's like, you know, there are other albums released, man. Like, we've reviewed like 10 of them at least. And like, they're better than Metallica's last three albums. Like, you know, Lulu was a joke, right? We get it. So like, why not just turf them and buy an Invoke album or a, or a Evocation? That was amazing. Yeah, it was it's great. like low, but with like metal riffs in it. So, you know... We're doing it for you guys. We're going to help you as best as we can, all right? So just stay with us and we'll stay with you, right? Hashtag no more Metallica houses. Cornbacks uh, out of performing at the Alternative Press Music Awards due to unforeseen circumstances. They've done this in the past with Revolver Music, although let's be honest, uh, once they realize Re Re Revolver Music uh, awarding things like Best Metal Shredder to... Uh, a chick who I don't think has ever played a solo before in a guitar. Um, <laughs> That's Metal Hammer. Oh, Metal Hammer, yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, look, he got pretty got confused like I did. So no hard feelings, but they're not going to be working with Revolver anymore. Um, do you think Korn is uh, doing the right thing by canceling the last minute? Yeah, no, I actually got inside information. Apparently, again, the um, their bass player was unavailable again. And unfortunately, um, was it Robert Trudeau? But um, son from Metallica, yeah. he filled in a couple of times, but unfortunately, he's exams on at the moment. Oh. Couldn't, couldn't tour, so they couldn't they couldn't get him back again. So unfortunate. Yeah, it's amazing, like being the kid of the guy who plays Metallica and wanting to do schoolwork. That is, um, whew, maybe he wants to do something with his life, you know, Not, rather than get paid billions of dollars being in a metal band, um, playing stuff that you wrote twenty years ago, which actually you probably wouldn't have written. <laughs> um, there you go. I'm also surprised you think um, Corn could find another bass player. <laughs> <laughs> It's corn. Like, they just want to bring like, the age demographic down. Nah, if you average out our ages, we're still 25. It's great. I mean, like, local metal band in Adelaide who's trying to find someone to play on a Saturday, uh, Saturday morning and looking for the guys on a Friday night, yeah, I can see that being a problem. But surely anyone would want to give corn a shot. And it's not like corn are a technically demanding band. Like, you could give them three hours before a show and you could nut out, you know, some of the best parts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, maybe there's more to it, but I don't know. This back three or four times already, some in this year. So more to it. We did talk about Dave Mustaine, but um, yeah, we're giving him a bit of giving her a bit of gripe. But uh, Sanctuary's Ronald Dane, Sanctuary slash Nevermore. I'd like to say, you know, the band's not officially broken up. They're just taking a long extended vacation in opposite states, in opposite countries. You know, not a big deal. It happens. Let them deal with their like divorce papers. You know, whatever. Not buying it. Warrodane has said that he has a mad amount of respect for Dave Mustaine. Now, if you kind of get into Warrodane as a, a person with his ideological and his beliefs and all that, it wouldn't seem he has much in common with Dave Mustaine, would he? 
Yeah, that's that's fair to say. He's, I mean, he admits it himself, but I think what Warren Dane's more uh, happy with the more thankful for is he's pretty much staying. He gave him the breakthrough and the push, um, helped produce his album. Um, they toured with him with Megadeth back in the I think eighties and nineties. Yeah. I think through Sanctuary or was it never more current, but yeah. But it, yeah, so he's got a lot to thankful for. So that that's why he's got a big lot of respect for him because he helped give him a career. And you know what? That's the thing about Dave Mustaine, and uh, he does do a lot of things which are very Gene like, you know, Gene Simmons like. Um, you know, we gave him the, you know, the award that we had for our yeah thing, uh, where it's just an award for being a complete tool. The Gene Simmons Award. The Gene Simmons yeah. Award, right? So we call him Gene. Like it's a very Gene thing to do. Yeah, it's, that's it's, right. It's that's not a good Gene. thing, you know. Right? However, um, he does have that uh, metal festival thing he brought to Australia a few times and he brought those bands with him as well. Oh, yeah, Gigantour. Gigantour, you know, and he did that all across the States. You had at one point, it was him, it was Life of Agony, Nevermore, Symphony yeah, X, same one, yeah. all on the same bill, you know? I mean, Shredders, that's just your that's your home. That's what you pray for. Every time you go to bed and you put your hands together, look up to the sky and say, like, please give me a riffer roller, this is basically the heavens open up saying, wish granted, there you go, enjoy your boner. But, you know, uh, that's I don't think Metallica's ever done that, you know. We've seen Slipknot do yeah. their festivals with Knotfest. We've seen Ozzy do it with Ozfest. I've never heard of Metalfest that's or Liquorfest. Metalfest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, that's a good point. I don't think Metallica have gone down that path yet. Yeah. I mean, they easily could. Maybe they realize you just lose money on it. Like, yeah, it's not a prosperous business decision, which, again, very gene-like, you know? That's <laughs> why Kiss don't tour, apparently. They want to do a final tour, but then they kind of oh, like, no, no, they want to do free. Yeah, free final tour. That's a big slave of shit. It's like when you get, again, Tiger Rares. Yeah, it's it's free, but you've got to pay for your seat and pay for water, pay for oxygen, oh, pay for toilet God. use, pay for blah, blah, blah. Yeah, don't, don't fly with Tiger, believe me. Uh, Sully Erna, the... Guitarist, songwriter, slash singer for Godsmack. Uh, he reckons the new Godsmack will have a little more commercial edge to it. Now, he's talking about the discussion with his drummer, and they had a talk, and they said, uh, basically came to agreement like, dude, honestly, I can't think of any more combinations with those chug riffs anymore, so we're going to focus really on well-written songs, right? Now, if you've heard Godsmack's latest stuff, it's not exactly not radio-friendly already. It's pretty much like a Nickelback um, slightly maybe dirtier, but they're very much in a formula of rock music, you know. Uh, Sully's uh, singing is definitely a little bit more ballsier. Um, in fact, it has balls on it. But um, can you remember, Danny, uh, any Godsmack when you went to see him at Soundwave? You know, all that kind of nah, stuff? Nah, I think I actually saw him. The only song I remember is when they did it from, was it The Mummy, like that standalone song? Yeah, look, yeah. more of that. It's really kind of that, the heaviest, really. Um, so when they said they were going to be more commercial and write catchier songs... Like, they can't do any more chugs. What's the other variation? Just kind of strumming, really. Well, I like how they kind of insulted themselves as well. It's like, oh, we can't do any more chugging. We have to do well-written songs now. Like, yeah, so, for, so basically fans for the last 15 years, whatever they've been around, you've been listening to them take a dump on your face, you know, uh, in your ear, like your ear on the side, and they've been shitting in it, and you've been like, wow, this album's been great. Like, dude, we haven't even written a well-written song yet. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So We've just been chugging in your ear for the so last... imagine when they step it up again. They're, they're going <laughs> to Grammy Awards, here we come. Ah, uh, you know, um, take it as a pinch of salt, I guess. You know, it's just guys having a bit of fun. But um, hey, we might review it, though, if your fans want to hear it. Uh, maybe it's a metal album. Maybe it's gone the way of Opeth and maybe even Mastodon. You know, we talked about that last week. And the more I think about it, sometimes the more I think maybe it isn't a metal album. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. We're going to talk about Bruce Dickinson quickly. He was uh, caught piloting a World War II bomber plane, uh, July the 15th in Toronto. You saw him apparently in a Royal Canadian Air Force during the World War II. It's like a replica. Now, you see him in the plane. You see it moving off, but you never see it flying. That's kind of clickbaity, isn't it, Danny? I think that's extremely clickbait. Is there, is there something we're not supposed to know? Like, is there like a secret to how this plane works? Or is it like when it gets into the air, it looks like a UFO, so you can't film it? And in fact, I can't say that I've actually ever seen uh, him fly in... Any video, Danny. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, all which happens, they, they, he jumps in the cockpit and the engines go, but I don't see him jumping in the cockpit, to be fair, either. Yeah. And it just rolls down the runway, and then that's it. It, it wasn't even the thrust when it kicked in. Bruce Dickinson, you know? And it's like, well, maybe. You know, we're going to have to take your word for it. It never yeah. flew off. We have to take their word for it. It's a lot of taking their word for it. This is kind of the CN, CNN slash Fox News <laughs> broadcasting right here, man. Hashtag fake news. Hashtag who is Bruce Dickinson? Hashtag who was a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an engineer. Everybody's an engineer. Everybody's a pilot. No, I sat in a plane while like, it took off. Technically, I'm a pilot. Chester Bennington. Um, we do condolences to his family. Uh, he he did pass away from what is a suicide slash murder. There have been rumors of that. He was ki killed, Danny. 
oh, look, it's again, it's really early. Um, people report basically they shoot the hip and they report early stages so we'll find out in a couple months time if like toxicology reports come out or, or if it was something like i don't know if it was a gunshot i don't know at this stage i haven't really read too much in it but it, it is it is a sad time for him and it's for his family sorry and his friends and fans and anyone associated with the band it's, it, it is quite sad especially like so soon after chris cornell apparently they were mates etc so yeah, that's that's that is it's very sad, but it didn't stop people from giving their opinion. No. Particularly, there were two big ones that came out. Corn again with uh, Brian Welch, as known as Head. Um, he didn't like the idea because you know he sees it as giving up on his kids, and uh, you know he got on a bit of tangent where he had to come out and explain himself in an emotional uh, testament to uh, to why he was so passionate about it. He mm. actually knew the guy Chester and uh, found it quite a selfish way of what to do which is you know yeah. well he apparently's gone through depression and all that himself and yeah. he thought no, i'm not doing suicide that's not the way out so he's come he's trying to come from like how he's feeling and and that's probably fine but when you react and you shoot from the hip at early stages it, it always comes across you insensitive so but he's also speaking what he considers to be the truth so is it insensitive well yeah. let's go to gua and they've gone to the uh, limits of saying suicide is no joke but lincoln park sure is it's metal response. It is yeah. brutal. It's hard. It's like Cannibal Corpse uh, record being served to you with razor blades. Um, it did offend people. The guy from Born of Osiris, Lee McKinley, was deeply upset with this uh, thing. And for that, I would say, well, you know, deal with it. He was also very upset because he got kicked off a tour, apparently, for having a broken leg. And Gua was not sympathetic to that reason, um, for whatever reason. Danny... Is there any simple thing with this? Is making jokes okay? Do you think uh, the metal uh, communities uh, is in their right to kind of do the way they handle every kind of thing? Just make light uh, of the situation? No. Because for cool. me, for me, it's just, no. I mean, if someone dies, I mean, to have a laugh at someone dying, that seems a bit... Even if, even if they die in a car crash, I would still say, no, don't make jokes about them. So Even so soon, like, you know what, five, ten years on a down track... Yeah, maybe, but I just don't think you should laugh at someone's death. It's funny because I um I got onto the memes and seeing what uh, the, the, the it was weird because the metal forums were obviously they were against trolling. They're like, nah. The metal media came out and said we are not part of this trolling. But you go onto websites like Tasteless Gentlemen and all those meme things, and what you see instantaneously are jokes. Like you know, pictures of Chris Cornell and and Chester Bainton just hanging out. You know, and <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Like I say, I'm look. You should have made jokes, but I'm sick enough sense of humor where I would actually laugh at those posts. But if those posts never existed to start with, I'll be happy if they never existed. But at the same time, I see them and I laugh because like, wow, that's, that's I'm not brutal. here to, to parent anyone on it, you know, and that's yeah. the thing. You know, I, I might come across that a bit weird as just trying... Uh, I've, on the show, I've probably said things that uh, came across as... It's, look, it's, look, it's just my thoughts. Don't take it. Take it even finer than a pinch of salt. An atom. Take it with a pinch of atom spread, you know. Um, that's how we kind of feel. But uh, if you want to joke about it, joke about it. Yeah, but entry in all sincerity, that if if you are suffering from depression or having those thoughts, you seek out help. Like your family, friends, they do love you. They do want you to be around. So don't don't ever take that as an option out. So let's finish it off with Slayer playing "Raining Blood" on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, Jimmy Fallon. Um, Stop looking at the camera. Actually, that's great. Now he can look at the camera because that's his um <laughs> that's the point of being a night show host. But when he was on Saturday Night Live, I was like, "Stop breaking the fourth wall." Uh, known as Nazi sympathizers, they've had swash stickers on their um, uh, you know, guitar cases and uh, talking a uh, crap about religion. Obviously, God hates us all. Uh, really about more getting a shock from people than actually being of belief, as the uh, Tom Araya, the, the bass player and singer from the band, will tell you. Smart move to be on the show, Danny. I guess a bit of publicity, playing a song that was written in the 80s, so a uh, bit of a blast from the past, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I really don't know... Why? I mean, apparently they've written some songs. Um, they next write together. Apparently, here's the controversy: the next album, which is supposed to be coming out, is like back in the days, like Jeff and Tom wrote the songs, but unfortunately, Jeff passed on. So now, in this latest interview with Tom, he said, "I oh, him and Kerry kind of wrote songs, but not really." So more important that Kerry did all the songwriting, and Jeff comes like, "Oh yeah, whatever." So yeah, so I don't know. It, it should be interesting. So. They're going to sort it out. I think Tom and Kerry, or I think it came out in an article this week that they need to sort it out before this next album is released. Uh, the way we saw it with Dave Lombardo being treated, I can understand that there are some tensions underlying it and there's probably uh, roosters that want to run the hen house there. Um, so we will have to wait and see if it's Slayer fans do get that, what might be their last album, who knows? Yeah, I mean, like, if you hear the album, uh, the, uh, read the article, sorry, um, like I say, Tom's been doing it for 35 years, he never expected it to 
10 out it is now like he says more of a business rather than songwriting so he it, that might be way him saying he's getting over it a bit I mean he doesn't really want to tour anymore either so Slayer not slaying anymore dang Whoa. well as long as they look this is awesome though being on like late show that's freaking awesome so this is great it is so with that guys let's head over to our editorial piece Podcast question to our fans this week. How long should bands wait until releasing new material? Danny, why the question? Why the question? Uh, it just seems to be a lot of it at the moment. Like, I love the discussion about should bands release albums. Um, some bands are deciding to release a song at a time, trying to get a bit of steam. Some bands like Avenged Sevenfold release albums are even telling you they release yeah. them. <laughs> and that failed miserably. Not, not the smartest marketing decision, yeah. as the band would tell you. Once and only. Apparently, Limbiscuit came as well this week and said they've released the album a year ago or something and no one knows about it. So, uh, again, whatever. But So, there's a lot of discussion about if it's required, all these streaming services, etc. And then you have those weird cases like Tool, which decided to release albums when they get around to it type attitude. Well, and that's what we were interested in asking, like for, for the fans about their favorite bands or if they're in a band themselves, what is for you an acceptable timeline to to write or to wait for the next record to come out? So let's start from the very top with Ryan Whittaker, who's uh, number one on our Super Metal Brothers Facebook wall. Ryan has uh, told us, until they're ready, if a band found their sound and they are pumping out a good album only a couple of years apart, well, then that's awesome. That being said, though, I'm happy to wait several years for a band to release an album taking their time with producing. Danny, how long for you is too long? Uh, I reckon for me, a good amount of time is three years. Yeah. Uh, two years is fantastic, yeah. but two years I have a feeling they're going to start to um, affect their songwriting. But three years is enough because you know the whole point of writing albums, you've got to push the album. So by the time you tour the world and have enough time to write another album, record it and do that, I think three years is pretty good. Yeah, three years is good. Four years for me is the max too. Um, the band can decide for themselves when they want to release it, but I do find that if bands do it closer to each other, they can get closer to what the sound was. Like a Boarded, for instance. Yeah. They do albums very close together. Problem with that is lately I have found that the last... Two albums were similar to Retro Gore and The Chronic were kind of reminiscent of each other. And now I've heard the latest one that's popped out and you can just flop that on Retro Gore. Well, yeah, Aborted would be the first band where we review two albums, two new albums. So, yeah. So, that is a thing. Um, We'll talk about some of the bands that are a bit longer in a sec. So, we'll talk about someone else, Josh Liebelt. Surely seven years after a demo as a minimum, maybe 14 years for every full-length release after that. This is the Tool problem where Tool can now rumor about having an album come out and in, since I think Lateralis, I think it was or whatever, it's been years. Like yeah, and only rumors and superstitions and bands teasing trailers to maybe songs or an idea that they're recording together. Yeah. Yeah, so like, yeah, we're thinking about recording, but in the meantime, enjoy our new beer we've just made. Oh. Yeah, they're not having enough, they're not yeah, sad enough to not pump a, a product, but... um. That's the thing. They've got so much now a cult fan base, a rabid uh, cult fan base, where they can almost get away with not writing any more material. Well, that's, that's true as well. And part of them not releasing it is a statement in itself. Yeah. You know, it's like, look how cool we are. We are now not passing ourselves in, in the whole spectrum anymore. We're outside of it. And like, yeah. 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 Um, Daniel Cedarblad, when it's done. That was his quote in quotation, when it's done, unless they have a contract that forces it. This is really coming yeah. from the side of the artist. Look, it gets done when it gets done, unless they have a contract that forces it. This is an incredibly good way to take pressure off yourself and release an authentic album, but a very dangerous game to play because when it gets done, I can tell you as a songwriter, a good piece of artwork, and I think anyone that is an artist can tell you, a good piece of artwork is never finished. In fact, an art piece of art is never finished, right? So it gets done when it gets done. Could take A, a song could take anything from a week to write to eight years. So... If a band isn't careful, and we have seen for some people uh, like Disturbed to, to write very similar and to have fans kind of pull it off because it's kind of like, oh, dude, you know, that's, that hasn't transitioned at all very well. Um, to, to guys like Tool, where it's like they won't release it. Uh, it really, it's just the, pan- the fans that get upset, I guess. Well, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. it's always that balance. So you're like, do I... Do I um take liberties with my ability and release it earlier or I put as much if I can possible and take longer and then 
lose fans because they forget about you. So you always have to be careful with that. Yeah, I would always say to the bands, really avoid that mindset. You know, you have to work towards a, a, a limit, a time limit. Like everything needs a line because if you don't have one, um, you know, it just falls apart. But hey, again, when it gets done, like you're saying, if there's no label on the side of you, then it's it's really your own happiness here and it's really about what you want out of the metal band. But I think for a smart economic decision, I think it's a terrible idea to not release uh, every two to four years. I can't see how you can sustain yourself. Um, I know bands like Machine Head now are seeing it, metal going the same as R&B where you leak songs out and then have an album out so you can kind of make, you can kind of promote the band and make money from not only your single but your album. But again, I, re- I, I used to tell myself this to get someone it gets done and then I had to, I had to abandon it because much like the guys on the Titanic, when the ship is sinking, you need to jump off of it. Yeah. But that's like everything. It's like you know, paying the fence. It gets done. It gets done. That's why you're divorced now. You're yeah. your mum. <laughs> that's why. That's why your kids don't want your last name anymore, and you have to pay child support to a woman who's banging your best friend. That's what happens. Oh, that's a good song title there. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a metal song. Uh, Aaron Drescher shouldn't be rushed, but don't hold out just for the hell of it. Chances are that the record company. It is up to the record company. Uh, again, record companies are starting to feel the pinch. Most bands now can realize you can go with distribution labels and do it all yourself. The way that technology has gone these days, you can record a, a fairly decent album yeah. in your own home. Yeah. Look at Periphery. That's all been done on you know a couple of plugins and uh, some guitars. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, and even like Ice Earth, I mean, look, they've they've made the money, but they're gonna make their own studio and record their own studio again. Get around the man. Yeah, and the way metal is these days, it, it really can be done all from from home with the, the guitars and stuff. Singing, I've seen guys do it in a like haunted. I've seen guys do it in a garage and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Drumming, that's probably a little bit trickier. Probably one at your you know room of some kind, but I mean that's a lot of costs you're overriding. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, Steve Lehman, geez, back in my day, bands had a new album every ten months. Testament to the hard work. Testament to needed to stay relevant because they didn't have the they had the internet back then. You know, literally, if you want to stay relevant in people's minds, you had to have something out for radio stations to to you know plug for you. Yep. Or video clips when they were very popular. Yeah, but yeah, like. You know, like Black Sabbath, Deep Purple stuff. They're doing an album every year, every ten months. At the same time, you know, the albums then were a lot short because you know vinyls. So it means they could possibly put more music out quicker because Point. these days you're writing ten, ten songs for sixty minutes. Back then they're writing six songs for half an hour. So you know. yeah, I, I kind of feel like when I get a half an hour record, I'll feel a little bit cheated. Um, I know some of my favorite albums are that Nails, for instance, Morse yeah. Prince and Master Guilty for that. Um, but Dragon for some Lord. reason, I can, I can, what? Dragon Lord. <laughs> oh my God. Is it really that bad? 35 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that later in a sec. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that is the problem. And um, the way modern technology has gone, like you can leak it and you can kind of write as you're recording, I guess, in the sense. Yeah, but back then as well, I think a lot of those guys got screwed by record companies anyway. So they might release a shitload of um, albums, but made like a couple of penny from it. Nothing's changed here. That's yeah, what I hear about yeah, a lot. Right. Like you sign the dotted line, the devil owns your soul, and you're not going to see any money made from those songs now. You know, uh, you'll get a kick-ass studio and hopefully a really good production. Uh, unless you're Nevermore with, uh, you know, um, Enemies of Reality, that album sounded like dog balls through a tuna can. Um, but yeah, that's the way it is. Now let's say it for ourselves um, again. For me, a band should really think about two to four years if they want to stay relevant. I think waiting four years as a fan, like for me, is Pushing past the point where it's not my favorite band, I'm losing that connection to it, and I probably won't um, back it as much, buy as much merch or whatever, rah, rah, unless they're being in my face a bit more. Uh, like Behemoth is doing a great job with merch. I mean, they're selling everything yeah. from action figures to your, your girlfriend's leggings, yeah, the belt buckles, uh, the rings, belt buckles. Everything. It's literally they will sell you everything you need for your for your bedroom. You know, they're like they're like Kiss, but with like style, man. You yeah, know? and better songs. Yeah, and better songs. Makeup's about the same though. <laughs> yeah, they actually are. <laughs> well, that's a world explosion there. Yeah, Facebook, where's the Emperor line of stuff and Dimmy Walker stuff? You know, <sighs> Still from each other, man. They look like a bunch of uh, zombie ghosts. But... Oh, no. What did Bill Burr say? He says they look like um, cheese grated disco balls or something because they've uh, got their spiked forearms and stuff. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, don't, don't admit you don't like the songs there, Bill Burr. You absolutely yeah, love he it. He knows what they mean. So um, with that, I guess we can wrap a bow around it. I think generally the fans are happy to wait. I mean, they really want the artists to write a really good album. I think the best thing is, would you be happy to have mediocre albums every two years or one kick-ass album every four years? Yeah, of course you want a kick-ass album every yeah. four years. I mean, that's Sifty X. They're pretty much a four-year band yeah. turnaround. Uh, Nevermore, how long were they? About three years? Someone with three, but yeah. the big one to wait was the Obsidian Conspiracy from Godless Endeavor. I think that was over around four or five years. And unfortunately, when that album didn't come out, I mean, you know our thoughts about that. We did the retro review. 
it was too long. They did too many risks and too many gambles, and maybe they felt too detached from their old style. Who knows? Love to talk about Jeff for this one day. Um, hashtag get Jeff, Le- uh, get Jeff Loomis out of Arch Enemy. Well, they might be touring. They, they got their album coming out soon, and that was like we, we talked about their song last week, but hey, it's coming out. That's it, guys. So uh, thank you for the people who went on our wall and uh, answered those quizzes questions. We have a lot of fun talking about it. Let's talk about our final presentation, the CD Review. 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 When you think of side project band, you think something along the lines of, you know, just phoning it in, getting a couple of mates together from other bands, just so you can like, you know, maybe make just a couple of side project bucks, not putting as much heart and energy into it, you know what I mean? That's what I kind of get, even with uh, stuff that um, bands like um, Dream Theater did with, um, you know, their side project stuff with when uh, Patrice did it. It was very much an experimental kind of style, lots of thrash, lots of shredding and stuff, but it really didn't feel like a Dream Theater song. It wasn't as fleshed out in that. It's kind of like when you fill in for like your mates indoor soccer team. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I play, but I'm not really playing. You know? Even if you're, even if you're like messy, you're probably gonna give like you know 75 percent yeah. uh, endurance back. You ain't just you don't give that extra flair to that pushes you over. However, a lot can be said about this record we're talking about today, 2001's uh, Dragon Lord. The album is called Rapture. Side project band. I would use that term very loosely because Eric Peterson here has gotten something brilliant. And when he got together with guys like Steve DiGiorgio, Steve Smith, uh, and some more we'll talk about in a sec, Dan, this is not a side project band. This is a band. This is like literally... And we've, we reviewed Testament, and that album, Brotherhood of the Snake, is awesome, right? Buy it. Best thrash metal record of 2016. But this Dragon Lord album, whoa, wow. We, we'll have to get into it in a sec, but what do you honestly... What, what, what first word comes to mind when we talk about Rapture? Rapture. Yeah. <laughs> Time to meet your maker. That's exactly what happens when you reach this, man. You are going to see the heavens open up or the gates of hell buckle down. Uh, black and death metal, I like to call this. A lot of people call it a black metal album exclusively. I would disagree. I think there is something about this album, and I'll talk about that when we review the tracks. Do you got to think this album is fully black metal, Danny? There is symphonic elements oh, to it, though. Tons of symphonic elements to it, and the... Um the, the screaming black metal scream is definitely profound in it. Those tremolo guitar lines, yeah. those buzzsaw kind of thing. A couple of blast beats. Yeah. Uh, but the thing which is more surprising is they picked the shit name. Because when I hear Dragon Lord, I don't hear Black and Death or Black Metal. <laughs> I hear Power Metal. And that yeah. was somewhat disappointing for Daniel. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's a Power Metal album. <laughs> oh, it's, and it's not Power Metal at all. I, I, was, I was like, wow, it's not a Power Metal album. I was like, yeah! So the world's colliding weirdly. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, look... This is the first time that Eric Peterson actually would track vocals on an album, and for that would say, keep tracking those vocals. It sounds fantastic. And it's also the not first time they had Quartz Bane. They would wait for the second album, Black Wings of Destiny. Uh, I don't think it really matters. If the album sounds worse, I think you should go without it, because this album was good without it. Not that we could tell. They had Corpse Paint. They had Corpse Paint in the second album. Like they did the whole touring with the Corpse Paint. Oh, they should the first toured. album. Yeah, yeah. Not not Adelaide, obviously. Oh, or Australia. I did remember sending them an email and they're like, dude, we'd love to come to Australia. And little did I realise how bands politic to their fans. Of course they want to placate to them. Oh, yeah, if you pay for them to come to Australia, they would come to Australia and yeah. play it. Yeah, it's all about that. Before we get on to how awesome this album is and why you should buy it, let's talk about the band members because it needs to be said this is an all-star metal lineup. We posed a question about your all-star metal lineup and this was for people what should be in a Black and Death metal album. Eric Peterson, vocal guitarist, obviously from Testament, one of the best thrash metal bands who are keeping relevant even today with kick-ass songs and combining different elements inside of that world that... So many bands would be happy to be in the 80s stuck with there. Yeah, exactly right. Steve Smith, guitarist from Nevermore and One Machine. This guy, as a shredder, can lay down. He was on one of the best heavy metal albums of all time, Nevermore's Godless Endeavor, and he wrote some tracks for that. That's how, obviously, for bands, you have to understand like this is what happens when two great guitarists can work together. Talking about Steve Smith, because I noticed Nevermore, they started naming the last song of each album as the title of the album. Rapture, the last song of Rapture is Rapture. So I wonder if he actually took that idea and brought it back to Nevermore. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Where it's, it worked because, you know, both albums sound great, maybe just because of that reason. Uh, you got Steve DiGiorgio on bass. Look, if you want to see what this guy's in, it's like, how do people have this many hours in a day? He's played in the phone book pretty much. Yeah, yeah. honestly, open up the Metal Encyclopedia and you will see Steve's name in it, in every band. Iced Earth, Obituary, Control Denied. That was Chuck Shorina's band before he unfortunately passed away. 
Screw your cancer, it needs to die, a thousand deaths. Even bands like Appel Jawath, which are black metal bands from Italy. I don't even get it. Like experimental avant-garde black metal, like who knows where they are these days, uh, and so on and so forth. You know, how this guy was free enough in his day to do one of the best black and death metal albums of all time. We just salute him for it. Uh, Joe, uh, John Allen, he actually was doing death uh, sessions, uh, doing, I think, the Human albums, touring for that at the time. And as you know, death, oh, some pretty tough, tough drums for that. Yeah. Uh, Ice Death as well, I think. And even a band, Sadus, you know, he's a seasoned veteran. Uh, Kyle Livingston, I couldn't really find much about him, but he lays down anyway, you know. Uh, you know Lyle, so Lyle Livingston, the keyboardist, uh, I couldn't find too much about him. But yeah. we'll talk about his stuff yeah. when we get to the album. Uh, Danny, before I want to go to it, I think we should just do it by track by track. Normally, we'll just give us a blanket right. thing, but this album is way too awesome to leave anything behind. Much like our children that we may or may not have one day. Sorry, Nonna. We'll get around to it. Uh, we love them all the same. And these are our eight children. Yeah. It's amazing because you're right. Like, they have a joke before at them. It's only a 35-minute track, but each song is so much in them yeah. that you really think, is this only 35 minutes, really? Oh. But anyway, the first track is pretty much an instrumental, just there to set a bit of a tone. Yeah. Vows de, de la Muerte. It's just Lyle Livingstone doing some beautiful, atmospheric pianos. Very epic with the oh's and that. Yeah, a couple of choirs in there, yeah. Yeah, and it's perfect. It's a very good tone setter for the album because... What you need to do is just wait that little bit extra, a little bit like when the pie has been made for you. You know, your grandma has, uh, you know, seen you playing outside. She's prepared an apple pie for you, sitting on top of the shelf, and you can smell the aromas from the backyard playing cricket. But you know, if you wait that little bit more and put that bit of cream on it, it's going to be even better. Yeah, exactly right. And yeah, come on. So maybe you're in a roll here. And waiting for that little bit extra is great because it sets you up with Unholy Void. Danny, this track. Yeah, it's great, man. It's just um, it pretty much just cuts into it, and it just ah, uh, it's amazing. The lyrical content is good because it's all about the whole like um space and the whole universe and why we hear all that top stuff. And I'm cutting it there from like a synth opening and with the guitar work and stuff. It actually ties in the songs and the music so well together. So it actually marries quite well. It's a riff so awesome that I don't know who ripped off who. For this, go check out Behemoth's track Here and Beyond. Turn Titanic of Time. And they do that odd thing with the V. I'm not too sure what that is. Maybe it's Satan for something. Um, yeah. Dun, 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 da, 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 da. Both bands do it. It's that awesome. I think Dragon Lord play it a little bit better. Sorry, uh, Negrao, don't kill me. Um, you probably won't. Um, <laughs> but um, these riffs, man, straight away, you, you know you got the black metal side of it because the drumming is pretty like crazy with its blast beat, single note yeah. stuff and all that kind of thing. But those riffs that come in the verse, man, uh, with those big gaps is very much rifferola. And I think where death metal kind of helps or the thrash metal side of it yeah. helps, you know what I mean? Um, and it all just adds up to that chorus, man. And then it stops and then you get the sick-ass bridge, man, where it sounds like bees fighting with nails, <laughs> shooting out their mouths, against like some steel pan night armor shit it is like insane isn't it yeah no it's just, it is it is great and like they, they cut down the middle and they cut back into it as well and they they really just take you on a journey with a lot of these songs you find they really go i mean there you say progressive but you could say because of the fact that it's the tempo changes and increase intensities and yeah it feels like this guy knows how to write a really good heavy metal song uh progressive obviously there are zero acoustic oh apart from the last track yeah um you won't hear an acoustic section on the album. Um, but it, for some reason, you just get a strong sense of how good a song is and how much it just punches you in the... F like you, just, you just want to punch with it, man. And uh, Oh Holy Void does that to you. And then you hear the, our next song, Tradition and Fire, where it's even more groove, man. It's like he's yeah. taking away some of that just frenetic energy. It's, it's a grooving along and it's just fantastic. That riff for um, Tradition and Fire in the verse is just... Uh, is is why you get into metal, honestly. That's great, but even the opening for me, it's, it's just cool with the guitar oh, slides because yeah. it has these layered guitar slides, and then it lays with like a screaming vocal, and it just sounds like great energy, great despair. You're like, ah, oh, this is cool. And yeah, those pick slides, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's unreal. Yeah, blast beats, I think. Anyway. The sick ass chorus, and then in the second time of the song, it revisits it. You get that blast beat that carries over with this really cool, like, chanting stuff. Damn, uh, it's just. Oh, those riffs, I can just hear it, and I'm just thinking about how great it was. Yeah, definitely. right. Again, it's really cool because there's a part where 
it, at the end it starts to build up the chaos with like the layering of vocals, the layering of instrumentation. And it's really cool because it's pretty much all about like a song about like a madman, well, a guy who's mad with power. He wants to like rule his empire, rule the area. So and the music again marries quite well with the lyrics. And, just and, and every riff it. that comes after set riff is even better. It's more engaging and it's more heavier and it's... Uh, more exciting and it's just so much imagination is crafting in these riffs with alongside those sick ass drums and, and the it's incredibly dark and tense keyboards that sound perfectly fitting over it you know uh these two tracks are so good that uh, i think it might take away from some of the, the other songs on the album uh because and those songs are great too but these songs are like metal masterpieces there's just no way around it yeah, definitely right. And it's funny because they, even though like they're very fast and technical, they give times for like little small melodies and little bits of piano work in there, which oh, sets off the tone, but then straight back to the chaos with the vocals. And yeah, straight. you listen to the same song again and again, you'll hear another thing. Oh, there's that piano doing that really cool line. The guitars are harmonizing there, kick-ass soloing, uh, very subtle hints with drumming with using the hands and stuff like that on cymbal hits. Uh, Judgmental Failed a song that was written just so they could showcase the ending it is literally like one of those uh, moments that like uh, I had with um, uh, you know that band a Biomechanical and it's the uh, Enemy Within oh sorry Born to Darkness no I skipped the track sorry so Born to, Born to Darkness Danny talk almost about Born to Darkness Actually, I can't really remember the song at the moment. I know. It starts I slow, I think, this one. It actually gets back dun, 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 yeah. And then it goes dun, straight dun, back dun, into it anyway. It goes after the slow start. It cuts back into the heavy uh, rock and groove section. Yeah, it's very dancey number, I found this one here. A bit of a headbanger. Just more, a bit more energy than the other two songs, but lighter tone. So it's got a little bit of that going on with it. I think it kind of pulls back some of that death metal and kind of adds a little bit of lightness to it. Um, but I really want to talk about now is Judgmental Failed now because I think um, that song was written so they could have showcased an ending. And like I was saying before with Biomechanical with Beyond uh, Enemy Within, that ending was just so great. It's one of the most iconic moments in heavy metal uh, history where it's just like, if you do not like that as a song, then they need to give you a closer parking space in uh, supermarkets because yeah, you're missing something of your brain. Yeah, fair enough. It's got probably one of the toughest parts as well. Like in the end, I'll, I'll quote the lyrics at the end. Yeah. Where again, it's just it's just a lot of like, it's like controlled chaos for a lot of the songs. So there's one parts where, again, the slow part, but the layering of the guitars and the intensity of the drum work, all of these songs have all these small nuances, small, small sections. And when you hear them, it's like, wow, this is actually, wow, amazing. You always pick it up and mm. you hear it again. And just it's all about creating the ambience and the effect. And again, with the laying of the screeching and the screaming, all these songs just keep giving you that same, like, this is like chaos and like anger. Yeah, and it continues great. with Wolf Hunt. Same thing. You know, more in tune now, I think these these next two tracks are more in tune with black metal. It really does feel like now it's more of those, um, you know, compressing those chords together, big, big notes, a big full-on sound, you know, uh, drumming that's very intense and stuff like that. And the keyboards really do come to play here as well, which they do in most albums, but here I kind of feel like they're at the, the front of it all. Um but it's so good, man. It's got some of the, some more of that thrash that really brings this thing to life, where it pulls itself away from just those typical black metal albums. Yeah, definitely. Again, they're more more on synth here as well, and more like nice um, scale working the guitars to give a bit more pace to the song. So, nah. Yeah. So, to bring it back to now, the next track, "Spirits of the Mist," more riff heavy. Like there's stuff here that has these descending um, madness kind of like lines, so much guitar work, so many moving notes going on here. Um, but those grooves, man, push it forward. So evil. Like it is tough song. This one here, I really like it. You know, it's, um, and it features later on the album, but being only 35 minutes, man, you do yourself service to, uh, even just come revisit these songs by themselves. Cause sometimes I think listening to this whole album together, is just too overwhelming. Like, literally, like, people have died from happiness. Like, literally, like, parts of them have, like, reached uh, Valhalla. Like, their mind has reached that pinnacle point where you cannot grow anymore as a musician or a person because this song's that awesome. Yeah, and this song definitely has, like, really strong uh, uh, drum grooves in here. In it, after a little, like, slight acoustic intro, but straight into the drum groove. Comes back in the middle and ends with it as well. Again, this clever uh, song writing where they have the slow, soft synth over, like, skittato... Um, guitar riffing and um, like started riffing which is great great diversity great dichotomy it really helps um, again give that feeling of that organized chaos feel to the album finishing it off the album we have Rapture and this is here another example of like a black metal um, 
Rifferola, but it starts off a little bit more surprising than the other ones on the album. It is an acoustic kind of sound, very unconfrontational <laughs> compared to the rest of the album. But again, it, when it kicks into it, this is riff after riff building and building and building to pretty much the end of this album or the end of the song where it kind of slows it all down where it's like time to meet your maker yeah, and it's just the yeah. end where it, you've come and realized that, yeah, the only thing next, the only thing that now you can get satisfaction of life is death because you were not always listening to the album again. Look, they're, they're your two options because really yeah. after they hit this album, you've got nowhere to go but uh, downwards. Yeah, no, definitely right. It's a good way to end the album. You're right. It goes to a crescendo and then just like kind of peters out type thing. So yeah. it is quite a clever way to end the album based on pretty much the theme of it and the motive side of it. Yeah, and this has some of those best moments, man. Like just classic uh, black metal there. I mean, it really is. Uh, just so much of that going on this album was those mind-blowing guitar lines that are iconic. I think some things that people understand is like when you have singing, that's very memorable in that. But almost every riff off this album or every song has a riff that you could sing uh, and, and just come back to later on and you can remember it for days. Um, and it puts, a, it puts a skip in your heart and it makes you feel love again uh, in the most darkest way possible. Yeah, no, definitely right. I mean, all, all are kind of the riffing of uh, guitar is great, drumming a lot happening. Oh, since give the feeling the emotion where needed a super band working and is better than the sum of the parts really these things working together better than a well-oiled machine uh that in the apple factory that literally they just print money anyway and these guys if they could they should um do this again um but we just keep hearing rumors about it however this album really is a top 10 album Oh, yes, definitely right. I mean, it's amazing how they got together so well, and it's just so well written. Like, the transitions between like, each part of the song tie in so together so well. Like, track three, there's a part where there's a little quick drum line. And oh, that's a really good drum line. They stopped it like most bands do these days, but they actually bring it back and make it a focal point later on in that same song. And like, that's very clever right? Yeah, or with Judgmental Fail, where they have the same tremolo part, but they bring it back later on in the song in a different light. Maybe have, like, a... a uh, just single note drum hits and stuff, you know, different things or a guitar line that's more syncopated uh, rather than the start where it's all frenetic. And they do that all the time. They're just doing all these great ideas and songs and revisiting them later on and harmonizing them. Oh, it's... Eric Peterson is a freak of nature and uh, the lineup he chose, the musicians he chose, did so well complementing his style that I think it really that everyone should get a clap out. But uh, I'd definitely give Eric Peterson uh, bragging rights for sure. Yeah, and that's great. I think the only thing I don't like about this album is that it just wasn't produced well. And it's, yeah. it's really hard to hear the clarity of the guitar sometime and the clarity of everything. Sometimes it gets a bit lost. Such is an album like this. Maybe yeah. as to its mystique and its mystery more. Yeah, it could be. Maybe it's the whole black and feel they're trying to go for. Maybe it's because it's a side project they didn't have much money to put towards it. I would say, yeah, all those things are definitely valid. Um more importantly, though, I guess, yeah. Yeah, the right. other thing as well is if you look at the book jacket, like going back to this whole power metal thing, it's called Dragon Lord. And if you look at the book jacket, all the guys are holding swords. Yeah. I'm like, what are, you, <laughs> like you just, are you trolling people? Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah, it's like uh, going to a porno uh, studio and uh, seeing, like, you know, Kevin does uh, dumpster dicks. And then when you bring it home, she's playing basketball. It's like, dude, I can't believe this happens to me again. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just deceiving, that's all. It's not saying that, like, basketball. It's just not quite what I thought. Yeah, you prefer dumpsters. But I do think that Power Metal hands, Heads would actually prefer this album over Power Metal. Uh, it's just so great. Um, and it is it is a curveball when you look at it. But when you hear it, uh, it's a much welcome curveball. And one that would win the World Series, I'd imagine. Oh, I know. It's great. Like I said, any drummer or guitarist or bass player or singer, you'd, you'd definitely enjoy listening to your yeah. section of the album, if not even the whole album as a whole. It's just, some of its parts is fantastic. It's just, yeah, so well written. I can't understand how this is a side project band, right, with, I've heard people being played together for many years and still not being able to find that formula quite right, you know what I mean? And these guys have just nailed it. And it really is, and it's the reason why I want to uh, tell you about this album is because it's the reason where I kind of like, fit certain bands when they're kind of playing this style and it's like well how does it match up to this album because this album is everything a song needs and everything out of it that it doesn't it literally just has exactly what needs to be there and it's uh oh perfect for it in every way i give credit to eric peace and a guy who pretty much plays and writes thrash for his whole life can do something like this it's like geez amazing yeah i mean like some people will be lucky to being able to get a job and this guy can just be the master of all of them. Like, you know, jack of all trades, 
you know, a saying that I thought we'd reserve for everyone, it can't be. Like this guy here, just, yeah. How he's managed to do both and so... I mean, like, being people being into thrash metal and black metal, I think it can be sometimes correlate, but sometimes it can be too much of a different sound. But this guy does both, and it can appeal to everything, and I think it's underrated. I don't think this band this band should have taken off, but again, Eric Peterson was in Testament, and yes. you know, it's his first love, and I guess that's what he really wants to do. Well, he's dominated with it, so... Yeah, and so he should. You know, um, Eric Peterson is like the pinnacle of guitarist, where he can do soloing and songwriting, you know? Uh, if and I was going to reserve this saying for some other guitarists, but I'll say it to him as well. If talent would, uh, if, he would, if people in life would be paid for the talent they deserve, Eric Peterson would own the White House because that's exactly what he's worth. And uh, I think we can start, we can stop giving this guy a blowjob because honestly, right now, if he was in this room, man, he'd be lying down, and we would have to repaint the walls because that's what we've done for him today. Oh, uh, he would not be in the room by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't do that. Indeed. He would have found this uh, uh, endearing for the first minute and then uh, awkward for the next 20 minutes. Creepy. Can you guys like blink when you look at me? <laughs> Dude, if we touch you, do we get your superpowers? <laughs> Is it like that? <laughs> Let's try it anyway, man. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like that nuclear waste and we're saying, you know, like yeah, Toxic Avenger? <laughs> well, that one. Maybe like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he dies. Either, Maybe he? like yeah, X-Men. Yeah, I think he does die. Yeah. Um, so if, if the, any of what we said has like gotten you interested and you need to check this out, mate. Do it, and if you don't like it, listen to it again because you're probably wrong. Yeah, you probably stood backwards or something. Yeah, you've done it wrong. Um, in saying that, though, you know, must buy and go check out Dragon Lords Rapture. Uh, we need to go and help and buy Black Wings of Destiny because even though they've been around since 2001, we haven't even bought the second album, but yeah, their first album, we love it to death. That is odd, Matthew. But in the word of Dragon Lord, judging me, judging God, judging you, judging me, judging you, judgmental. Judgment failed. Ah. Failed. 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 It's a lot better when you hear it. It's a lot better when you hear him do it. Yeah. Until next week, guys, I have a Super Meta Brother match. And I'm Super Meta Brother Dan. Catch you guys all next week on the flip side. Peace out, yo. Peace out.